When you think of Christmas, here's what you got to think of. Death's death sentence. The death sentence upon death. That's what you think of when you think of Christmas. But when you think of Easter, you think of a knife in the heart of death itself. That is what Easter is about. Easter is about hope. And when it, this is about our great enemy being defeated. And whenever you, you watch a great movie, whenever you read a great story, that when this great enemy is defeated, do you know what happens next almost every time? There's a big party. There's a big celebration. So Easter is all about this big celebration and this big party. And that's why right now the hospitality team is going to be handing out mimosas for everybody. April Fool's. You forgot it was April Fool's today. So Easter is all, here's what it is. It's all about hope being found. And today, what I want to do is I want to show you the reason to believe. I want to show you the reason to hope. And now listen, notice I didn't say, I want you to abandon all reason and just put your faith in Christianity. What I'm saying is that there is a reason to believe. Faith is not at odds with science and facts and reason and our experiences. In fact, faith, faith is a result of a journey where you have taken facts and science and reason and you have traced them all the way to their very end and you have made the realization that you, no matter what, every single person on this planet has to make a faith decision. Whatever they put their faith in, they're putting their faith in something. Absolutely every single person in this world is putting their faith in something. The question is, what is it? We're in 2 Corinthians today. And I'm going to read verses 13. I'm going to read through to chapter 5, verse 5. Now, there's a little bit of reading, but just listen up. It's, it's beautiful what's being said. So here's what Paul says. Paul's our writer here, and he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal 
may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now, I want to show you something here. The genius of Paul in this writing. Paul's a writer, and look at his genius here in what he says. He says, look to the things that you can't see. He's saying, stop looking at what you can see and look at what you can't see. Now, this is kind of weird. Like, how do you look at something that you cannot see? Well, Paul's doing a play on words here. He's taking two, two Greek words, both meaning see. One is blepo, and it means to see with your eyes, to literally be able to see with your eyes. But the other word is about seeing with your heart. It's about understanding. It's about knowing. What, what Paul is saying here, he's literally saying to think and reason about the things that you can't see. He's saying, okay, take everything to its very end, science, facts, to their very end, and now look at the things that you can't see. Paul is saying, faith is not about turning off your thinking. He's saying, faith is not about turning off your reasoning. He's saying it's about turning it up. He's saying, turn up the dial to your reasoning. People say to me a lot, I'm a person of science. I'm a person of facts. I'm a person of reason. So I have a really hard time with faith. And what this person that's saying this, people say this all the time, what this person has failed to realize is that the more you think and the more you reason, the more you realize you have to make a faith decision. You can't avoid putting your faith in something. They haven't traced, if they're saying, oh, I put my faith in, I'm just, I'm a man of science. Well, they haven't traced science to its very end. So you got to think about it like this. So we're all in this box. And we can take facts and science and reason, and we can look at things in this box, and we can measure things in this box. And, and facts and science and reason do something beautiful. They take us to the edge of the box. They take us to its very end. And then, once we get there, we've got to make a faith decision. We have to. You can say, you can get to the edge of the box and say there is no God, but if you say there is no God, that is a faith position. You cannot prove God and you cannot disprove God. It's a faith position. You can't prove eternal life and you can't disprove eternal life. It's all about a faith decision. Because God is not in this box, so we can't prove or disprove him. See, there's a cap. That reason can take us to. There's a cap that science and facts can take us to. So once you hit the top, you've got to make a faith decision. You see, when, when someone says, I need proof that there's a God, what they're saying is, I want to be able to take God who's outside of the box, put him inside the box, and put him in a test tube and be able to understand him. I want to put him under a microscope to understand him, but the microscope cannot understand what is outside of the box. The test tube cannot understand what is outside of the box. When someone says, hey, prove to me then that there is a God, I said, you don't know what you're asking. If you want me to prove to you that there's a God, then I've got to bury you six feet under the ground because there's no way to prove it. You've just got to go through death to be able to see if there's a God or not. There's no proof. This is all about faith. And you have to make a faith decision. 
Plus, they say, I don't want to have to go to jail, so I don't want to do that to you. So you've got to make a faith decision. Eventually, you have to, because science and facts and reason are silent on matters of God. And when I say silent, what I mean is you can't know God through science, facts, and reason. You can't know him personally through that. You can only know him by faith. You've got to make a faith decision. And then watch what, watch what happens as soon as you do. As soon as you're like, okay, I'm making a faith decision. Here's what I'm going to do. Now here's what happens. As soon as you make a faith decision, whatever that faith decision is, that is now the lens through which you look at everything in your life. That is now the lens through which you look at the entire world. Your faith shapes everything that you think. Now let me show you what I mean. So if you take someone who's, who's, who's traced reason, facts, and science to the end and said, you know what, I don't believe there's a God. Now watch what happens. They walk into the ER and they see suffering and they say, see, I told you there's no God. Look at all this suffering that's happening. This is proof that there isn't a God. But when you take someone who has Christian faith, they walk into that ER and they see suffering and they say, ah, oh, this is not the way things are supposed to be. But I know that I have a God who's going to break open this box and is going to redeem all of this one day and somehow is going to turn all of this, all of this suffering that we've been through, he's going to bring good out of it somehow. Both are faith decisions and both shape the way you see the entire world. So I want to just look at, here's, here's four types of people. who are, We're going to just follow along. Four different types of people. So the first type of person who makes a faith decision is an atheist. You say, an atheist making a faith decision? Yeah, watch. So the atheist says, facts, science, and reason. Trace them to the end. Get to the end of the box, the edge of the box, and they say, there's no God. Now watch. Everything that they do, all the, all the ways that they see the world is now through that lens that there is no God. Or you take someone who's agnostic. An agnostic person means they've taken faith, science, and reason to the edge of the box, and they say, we can't know. We can't know if there's a God. We can't know if there isn't a God. We just cannot know. Now that, you say, well, maybe that's not a faith decision. No, it is, because, watch, the Christian is saying, God breaks open the box, and he comes in. And so that's... The agnostics are saying, no, that's not true, but that has to be a faith decision. Okay, third, you take a, a, someone, you could call them a seeker. So this is someone, they take faith, science, reason to the very end, and they get to the edge of the box, and they say, I'm open to the potential of there being a God. And what they're doing is they're looking around, and they're looking to see if there's a hole in this box. And what the Christian says, they get faith, science, reason, they trace it, or fact, science, and reason, they trace it to the end, and they say, there's a God, and he has broken into this box, and he has come into this box, and he has come to accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished in order to bring me up out of it, into freedom. But all four of these types of people, they're making a faith decision. And whatever that decision is, it shapes everything about the way they see the world. So St. Augustine says something super profound. He says, I believe, listen to this, I believe so that I might understand. I believe so that I might understand. Now, he's saying, I believe so that I can see God with the eyes of my heart. And what he's getting at 
Don't miss this. What he's getting at is that our beliefs shape what we know. So if someone says there's no God, they look around the world and they say, see, I know there's not a God. Look at the world. If someone says there is a God, they look around and they say, ah, I see God in the sunrise. I see God in this. Because their faith is shaping what they are able to see. And here's the thing. If you don't believe in God, you will never be able to see him with the eyes of your heart because you don't believe he's there. You don't have the lens of faith up. And this is the risk of faith, guys. This is, this is the big risk of it all because you have to go all in with him to understand him. And what we want to tend to do is we want to take a step back and kind of look at God and make assessments of him. And we put him under a test tube or we put him under a microscope and we want to look at him from a distance to try to understand him before we know if we're going to go all in with him. Right? That's what we tend to want to do. But what, what this is saying is you got to go all in first in order to know him. And that's the risk of faith. That's why faith is so risky. That's why maybe you're like, oh, I don't really know if I want to come today because I'm going to get challenged with something. And it's also risky. Here's, here's, here's why it's risky to just stay home too because whatever you put your faith in, that's the lens that you see the entire world. That's the lens that you see everything through. So it, so it shapes everything about your life. It shapes your relationships. It shapes everything because this is the starting point for you. It's the lens through which you're seeing everything. And by the way, someone who's weak in faith, that's them picking up this lens of faith and putting it down and picking it up and putting it down. Someone who's strong in faith is someone who picks up the lens and keeps it up. So if you're a Christian and you want to grow and grow and grow, to grow is to keep the lens up, to refuse to put it down. And you look, keep it up, and you keep on looking at everything through the promises of Christianity, through the promises, through the truth of Christianity. You're looking at your life through this truth. So then the question is, well, what is the Christian truth? Like, what is Christianity saying? Well, here it is. Christianity is saying that there is a box, but there is life outside of it. And God has broken in in order to free us from it one day. And he's even freeing us a bit right now. And the whole premise of Christianity is we can't get out of this box. We need someone to come and break us out. What it's saying is your final resting place does not have to be in the coffin of this box, but God can break you up out of it into a life of freedom in him. And this is where Christianity is different from all other religions. You could say there's a fifth type of person. The fifth type of person is a religious person, and they took faith, I mean, they took science and facts and reason, and they brought them to the end, and they picked religion. And what I mean by that is you look at every other religion besides Christianity and here's essentially what it boils down to. In order to get out of this box, you've got to follow this list of rules. In order to get out of this box, you've got to achieve this, some sense of state of mind, this nirvana. You've got to achieve something. And what Christianity keeps screaming at us is that we can't get out of the box. We need God to break it open and come and get us. It's radically different from every other worldview and from 
every other religion, it's a whole different set of lens. There is no other lens like it. Now, the question I want to address very quickly is, can we trust what has been said about Jesus rising from the dead? Can we trust what was said? And, and here's what we can do with this, actually. We can reason this out. And we can reason it out is because God came into the box. And so if he came into the box and reason works inside of the box, so we can reason this out. And what Christianity is saying is God came into the world, he rose, he died, and then he rose. So question, did the disciples make all of this up? Could that have been what happened? And what I, what I would say to that is it's more of a miracle for them to have made this up and pulled it off than for Jesus to have risen from the dead. And here's why I say that. Because if they made it up, then that means they died for a lie. They died for something they knew was a lie. They had a knife to their throat, essentially, and they were, said, they, they were told, if you keep telling this lie, we are going to take you out. If it was a lie, they would have said, no, I'm sorry, my bad. But they didn't. Ten of the disciples testifying, my God, Jesus Christ, he is my king, and he has risen from the dead, and I can say nothing else. And they were crucified for it. Ten of them. And not even that, but there were 500 others at one time who said that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. And other people who are meeting him saying, I saw him rose from the dead. Now listen, here's, the, here's, here's something that most people miss about the Gospels. The Gospels were written while these people were still alive. So if you were alive during this time, and you're reading it, you would read it and you would say, oh, I know this person written right here. I know this person who said that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. I'm going to just go talk to him. And if this was all a big hoax, it's over right there. But yet the movement continues on and on and on and on. Okay, well, look at this too. Jesus said, while he was on the earth, he kept saying, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he said it over and over and over again. So do you know what they did? They sent guards to watch his tomb to make sure nobody stole the body so that they would say he rose from the dead. So there's even guards watching to make sure that this doesn't happen. And yet here we are. Okay, well then maybe they mis had mistaken Jesus for someone else. Like they only spent like every day with him for three years, but maybe they mistake had mistaken him for someone else. Now listen, if, I, if, if, if I'm with one of you for, th for three years every day and I see you die, and then everyone's like, no, they're alive. And here they are. They're right over here. Don't you think like if I went over and found you and it really like it was you, I would know that it's you. And if it wasn't you, I would be like, oh, no, it's not you. Don't you think that the disciples are going to investigate this? Of course they are. It's, there's enough evidence to make a reasonable case support the claims of Christianity. There's enough evidence to support the claims of Christianity. That's not the problem here. There's nothing that can reasonably stop you from making a faith decision for Christianity. The question is, what is stopping you? And if you do believe, 
if you're a Christian here today, why do we keep dropping the lens? Why do we keep putting it down? Why does our lens of faith always keep dropping to the floor? I mean, this is what faith is about. It's about picking up the lens back up, picking the lens up and keeping it up and keeping it up. And despite keeping it up, despite everything we feel in the world, because can we really trust what we feel? There, I'm going to tell you this. There are a lot of reasons to doubt Christianity in this world. And our verses help us navigate through our doubt. So watch what Paul does here. He talks about suffering. He talks about groaning. He talks about, this is the human experience, and here's how he describes it. The human experience is we are like in the fetal position, groaning about our affliction, groaning about our suffering, groaning about all of this pain that we are experiencing in this world, in this box. But what our verses are telling us is in the midst of that, keep up your lens of faith that is screaming at you. Wait. Eternity is coming saying focus on eternity in the midst of your groaning see remember this our start our faith whatever we pick to have faith in that's our starting point that's the lens through which we see everything and our great problem is we can't see as god sees we can't know as God knows. So we got to say, okay, I got I to gotta put my faith up here so I can see how God is telling me how to see these things. So we, so, and, and I got to tell you, at one point, we saw as God saw. We trusted him completely. Humanity trusted him completely. And then here's what happened. Here's why we're groaning today. Because we dropped the lens. And everything fell apart. See, our great problem is like our original parents. We believed a lie about God. That he doesn't care. That he's not good. That we shouldn't trust him. That's, what, that's why Adam and Eve ate the apple. Now, whatever you're going to say about Adam and Eve in the apple right now, just drop that for a second. They looked at God, and then they said, mm, I'm picking up a different lens. And here's what happened. They picked up a new lens, and it was a lens that told them a lie about God, but it became their starting point. So now their starting point becomes a lie. And this is story has been going on over and over and over again for all of humanity, where we keep picking up this lens that's lying to us about God, lying to us, tell, trying to tell us that he's not good, that he doesn't care. And we have a God who is saying, I love you, and I want to rescue you, and I'm coming for you, and we're running from him because we keep telling us this, ourselves this lie. We're putting this lens up that's lying to us about God, and so we take off running, and he's chasing after us, this great God of rescue. See, here's what we do. Listen to this. Don't miss this. We take our experiences and we allow our experiences to dictate what we believe about God as opposed to taking our belief about God and letting our belief about God dictate how we see our experiences. Did you just hear that phone that was telling you? That was a good point, David. 
Allow God to teach you how to handle your suffering versus allowing your suffering to teach you how to handle God. Look, if you're suffering, uh, guys, come on. If your suffering is your starting point, you're going to hate God. If you look at everything through the lens of your suffering, you're going to hate God. But if you make God your starting point, you're going to look at your suffering and you're going to hate it, but you're going to say, this is not my end. There's a new beginning, and it's just starting, but when it gets fully here, everything's going to be the way it's meant to be. Don't allow your mind to tell you what to believe about God. Allow your belief about God to renew your mind. You see that? Don't allow your experiences, don't allow your emotions to tell you what to believe about God. Allow your belief about God to renew your emotions. Because here's the thing, if you start with your mind, then your mind has become your God. Whatever your starting point is, that's your God. So if you start with your mind, you have made your mind your God. Now look at what happens. That means each and every single one of you, you are God because you have your mind. And I, there's, there's a lot of you out here. Now, who gets to be right? Like, you believe this and you believe that, but you're God and you're God. And wait, you're God and you're God, so who gets to be right? The one that's most powerful? Well, that doesn't make any sense. If you start with your emotions, then you have made emotions your God. And like, come on, we're all a little bit crazy. Like there's a little bit of us all in us that we're a little bit crazy. So can we really trust our emotions? I saw some of you guys bumping your wife like talking about you. Um, if you start with reason, if you start with science, if you start with facts, you have made those things your God. Whatever your starting point is, that is your God. That's the lens through which you see everything. But if you make God your God, then he is the lens that shows you what is real truth. He unveils it and says, here's a new lens to see everything. And if you'll take up this lens, it's going to absolutely change everything for you. And it's going to give you hope. But it's not a hope that's some distant hope. It's a hope that can be realized. But if you, the, the only way that you'll know that is if you take this lens and go all in and say, yeah, I'm in. I'm all in. No negotiating here. I am all in. And once you do that, then you know God. See, we like to hold back a little bit. Because we want, because I mean, it's safe. It's way safer move. But again, the problem is, no matter what you do, it's risky. Because whatever you pick, that's the lens through which you see everything. See, our great problem is whatever our lens is, that's our starting point, and that's why the first commandment, you know, it says, "Make God your God." And if we make something else our God, here is what happens. We take on something that is not God and it starts telling us lies that aren't true and then we have a sickness of the mind, we have a sickness of the emotions and destruction sets in and eventually death. It's just this downward spiral. But what Christianity keeps telling us is no. You make God your God, you're gonna see that it doesn't work to punch your way out of the box. And you don't need to. Because he has come and 
punched a hole in this box of death. And he has come into it. And he's entered fully into it all the way till its end, death. And then he is broken through death in the resurrection. And he's punched a hole in this box. And by faith we take hold of him and he lifts us up out of it. We should be partying. Like, honestly, you really, I should, we, you should have mimosas in your hand right now. Like, seriously, if this is really true, like, but you'll never know it's true until you go all in. And that's why faith is risky. And I can't do anything about that for you. And I can't hold your hand and bring you there. No one can do it. It's you going all in with Christ. He's broken open the box to give us a world without walls. Ah, man. Like, I I don't know, like, about you, I just get so mad at myself that I keep on dropping this lens. Isn't it so, like, if uh, if you're a Christian, like, our problem is we keep dropping this lens, and we look like hypocrites, and the world's like, why do you look like hypocrites? And you're like, oh, because my faith is so weak. God, give me stronger faith. And like, this, you just got, we got to lift up this lens. And if, and if you haven't lifted the lens ever, just take the risk. Grab something that's real to hope, a real hope. Everything we do, we see through a faith lens. Everything. So what will we pick? That's the great question. But no matter what you do, it's a risk. So I say go all in. All right, let me pray. God, we thank you that you are gracious to us. Uh, We thank you that... um, while we are stuck in this box, and we have made this box, God, we thank you that in this box that we have made, that we hate, we hate what we have made, that you have broken into it, and you are setting us free from it, God, and we thank you for that truth. And we believe in that truth, but we want to believe more, so help us believe more. And when we don't believe, God, just do whatever needs to be done for us to get to the edge of the box and to finally say, I'm all in. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.